and welcome to Small Town Mysteries, a show where three longtime friends from Massachusetts tell crazy and heartbreaking true stories filled with the extra flair of small town mystery. I'm Kate, here with Christine. Hello. And Rachel. Hello. Bringing you our next episode on the homicides in Hinterkaifeck. And I'm going to apologize in advance if I'm pronouncing that wrong. There's a couple terms in this. It's a German case. Um, and I am going to pronounce them phonetically. So that is a probably, mouthful of a word. Probably incorrectly. So my apologies to anyone in our German audience. And if you'd like to send us a voice note with how to pronounce things properly, I will love you forever. Before we get into that case, I'm going to toss it over to Christine, who will highlight our missing person for this week. Okay. So this week I am highlighting Rachel Janali Lopez. She has been missing since... September 5th of 2023, she was last seen in San Antonio, Texas. She is currently 16 years old, a female, and that is all the information that we have. But please, on the day that this episode drops, take a look at our Instagram, at Small Town Mysteries Pod. We will have a picture there, so that is going to be the most valuable thing that you can do if you are in the San Antonio area, Texas, anywhere near there. Just take a look, see if you recognize her or any of the other missing people or children posters that we have on there. Yeah, that's it. Thanks, Christine. Thank you. So at Small Town Mysteries Pod on Instagram, we will have pictures of on the missing person we're highlighting this week and previous weeks uh, we try to post updates as well so if anyone is found uh, to keep people updated to the best of our capabilities we have had some issues lately with getting information on missing person cases and also getting updated information on missing person cases but we are doing our absolute best to keep this information as current as possible all right small town mysteries is going international this week as we cover one of the most famous unsolved murder cases to ever occur in germany the murder of an entire family and their maid at the family farm called Hinterkaifeck, around 75 miles south of Munich, Germany, in 1922. I've never heard of this case. I don't think so. I hadn't either. It's very interesting. It has some similarities to the Bloody Benders case. I did frantically text Rachel to make sure I didn't accidentally pick a case she'd already done. But it's it's different. A few similarities, but... They're pretty minor, so I think you guys will think this one's pretty interesting. So first things first, it's not necessarily a small town, and I will admit that, but this is 1922, and Hinterkaifeck was basically a farmstead that was independently sustainable. A few weeks ago, I talked about homesteading. It's the same idea here. They were pretty like remote. Um, there were other people nearby they had neighbors but you know pretty distant and there was like a town nearby with a school and a church and stuff so they weren't like fully isolated i couldn't find any i actually couldn't even find the name of like that small town just that their estate was hinterkaifeck which once again if i'm saying it wrong i'm so sorry um so they were like not fully isolated but very much like on the fringe of the small town and i i consider i feel like Hinterkaifeck would be like kind of like its own small town in a way. Also, like if a plot of land or a residence has its own name, I feel like that makes it a small town. So Hinterkaifeck, population six. 
the farm was owned and operated by the Gruber family, consisting of Andreas Gruber, his wife Cecilia, their daughter Victoria, who had been widowed, and Victoria's children, Cecilia and Joseph, ages 7 and 2, as well as the family's brand new maid, Maria Baumgartner. It was Maria's very first day as maid for the Gruber family, after the family's prior maid, whose name I could not find, left the farm six months prior because of weird noises that she heard around the house. She thought perhaps the farm was haunted and left. Maria moved in shortly thereafter. That's sketchy. I agree. There's a, there's a few a few weird things that happened in the weeks leading up to this that I think I might have handled differently. But well, hindsight's always 2020. Exactly. And I like to think I would but I know maybe I probably just would have done exactly what they did, which is nothing. So leading up to the murders, there were a few bizarre occurrences that I think normally people would just brush off. Um, but like we said, hindsight is twenty twenty. So after these violent murders happened, people kind of thought back and were like, yeah, you know, that that weird thing kind of did happen. You know, he he did mention whatever odd occurrence. So first up, Andreas Gruber, who's the grandfather of the patriarch, he found a copy of the Munich Gazette on the front steps. He didn't buy it. So he asked the postman, like, hey, did you leave this by accident? And the postman said no one in his delivery area got that paper, so he doesn't carry it. So it couldn't have come from the postman. And Andreas didn't pick it up. And they're in a relatively remote area. And there's just this newspaper that should not have been there. The skeptic in me is like, yeah, he totally bought it and then just forgot he bought it. But I don't know. That's me being skeptical. Also, apparently around this time, which was about a month before the murders, the Grubers lost a copy of a key to the house, meaning that theoretically some rando could just access their home at any time. But I couldn't find any more information on that, and I could only find that in one source. So I'm taking that with a grain of salt, but it would uh, explain some things later on down the line if it's if it's true. Perhaps even creepier is that Andreas himself claimed to have heard odd noises coming from the house, just like the maid did, specifically from the attic and the night before the murders. So like that close. So the maid heard like six months earlier, heard weird stuff. He heard it the night before. He did check the attic, but not thoroughly, was the impression I got from my research. I can't imagine why you wouldn't like fully search your home if you heard stuff coming from your attic once again hindsight 2020 i have no idea how i would actually act in this situation therefore i feel like i can't judge i don't know i feel like it's kind of easy to chalk it up to other stuff like it's an old house Mm -hmm. it's just creaking and things like that because you don't want to look crazy no totally especially after the maid left because of it you don't want to like give credence to like yeah she kind of was on to something like the problem is when i have my own house and i hear, hear like a little tiny creak i'm gonna be going up there with a machete like i'm not playing games Jesus. <laughs> actually alex will go up with a machete and i'll just watch from <laughs> afar yeah that's exactly how that's gonna work because you're not going anywhere with a machete you're not even gonna pick up a machete you'd hurt yourself I'm offended by that commentary. <laughs> I'm just saying. Anyway, I feel like I've said a few times this episode already, like, oh, this is the creepiest part. This is the creepiest part. 
The day before the murders, Andreas found two sets of footprints in the freshly fallen snow leading to the machine room of the barn, where he then found a broken lock, but nothing stolen. Even creepier. The footprints only went in one direction, toward the barn. There were no footprints leading away from the barn. So could there still be somebody in the barn? That's what I think, is that someone was hiding in their barn. Because I feel like there would be a lot of good places to hide in a barn. Oh, tons. Just, you know, sit behind a bale of hay. No one has to know. Sit in the tractor, or, like, under the... You know what I mean? Like, I feel like in there's the a tractor. bunch of places. Just, do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm driving the tractor! And the guy comes in and is like, get out of my tractor! Do all these people die? Yeah. Okay, wait. So how do they know this? Did he, like, talk to someone else about it? Yeah, so he... It was a remote area, but, like, they went to church in town. Their daughter went to school in town. And they talked to their neighbors. So it was like the neighbors were like, yeah, it's so weird. He told me the day before that he found these footsteps and the lock broken, but there were no footsteps leaving the barn and nothing was stolen. So a neighbor came forward and was like, yeah, he was weirded out by some stuff. And this is what he told me. Okay. Also, the night before the murder, Andreas and Cecilia had a big blowout fight with their adult daughter, Victoria who stormed out and was found hours later in the woods. Now, I have more on that that will come into play later about how um, this was not necessarily a a happy family. I think so far, the way I've described it, especially with that last bit, is like, oh yeah, the daughter killed them all or something. But it's going to be very clear soon that no one within the family had any hand in these murders because they all die. So Victoria's daughter, Cecilia, failed to show up to school for a few days in a row, and the family missed church that week, so people started to think that maybe something was up at Hinterkaifeck. And when I say that they thought something was up at Hinterkaifeck, they knew something was up at Hinterkaifeck, they just didn't know that it was, like, murder yet, because both Andreas and Victoria, so father and daughter, had been convicted of carrying out an incestuous relationship about 10 years earlier, They each served a short prison sentence. Uh, She only served about a month. He served a bit longer than that. Um, There were domestic issues here. Tons of reason to worry if the family was not in communication with the neighbors because they kind of had this reputation of things were not well. There was odd stuff, gross, incestuous stuff happening in this household. So, yeah, I mean, people raised the alarm pretty quickly. How old was Victoria when she was convicted? I believe she was an adult. Okay, and it had been happening for 10... Oh, well... 10 years before the murders, they were both how convicted. do they know that, like, he didn't abuse her when she was a child? That's a great question. They don't To which I have no answer, because they don't know that. I, there, there's some varying, like, reports of this about whether or not it was consensual. Like, consensually incestuous. Um, Yeah. Well, you can also just make the argument, like, we don't know when it started. So even, like, it might not even be consensual, what people are saying. Because who knows? Like, she could have been abused. And then, Mm -hmm. I don't know if, obviously, Stockholm Syndrome isn't really the right word here. Kind Um, of, though. It's just hard. I feel like it's really hard in these situations where it's, like, one person's 
the older party, like the parent, and the other one's the mm-hmm. child because it you inherently have a place of power over that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Already. Absolutely. So I don't know if that can ever really it's it's weird. I mm-hmm. I don't really want to get into it, but I there's complicated yeah. things there. <laughs> well, so many in the area I mean everyone in the area knew about like those convictions that they'd had that incestuous relationship. And then, you know, people varied on whether or not they thought it was consensual or non-consensual. And some people thought that Andreas might have been both the father and grandfather of Victoria's son, Joseph. So this was not like a happy family. So, yeah, I mean, the alarm bells went off when it was like, oh, no, this child hasn't been at school in a few days and they didn't go to church this week. Oh, shit. Someone go check on them. On April 4th, a mechanic, or what my various sources referred to as an assembler, which I would assume would just be the terminology used then, arrived at the farm to repair a piece of farming equipment. He reported hearing the animals in the barn making noise and the dog barking, but he did not see or hear any sign of the Grubers. He stayed for almost five hours, completed the repair, and left, still having not seen them. In mid-afternoon of that same day, a man named, bear with me, Lawrence Schlittenbauer, Schlittenbauer sent his son and stepson to check on Hinter Kaifek and the Gruber family. The boys, thankfully, did not see anything amiss, but they also just didn't see the family there. There was no one around. So Schlittenbauer himself went to the farm to look, and he was the one who found the bodies of the entire family, including the maid, dead. Andreas and Cecilia Gruber were found in the barn with the bodies of their daughter Victoria and granddaughter Cecilia stacked on top of theirs. The baby Joseph was found dead in his crib and the maid Maria was found in her chambers, also dead. Investigators were able to determine that each of the four victims found stacked in the hay of the barn were lured there and then brutally beaten with a mattock, which is apparently some sort of pickaxe. Andreas and the older Cecilia, as well as Victoria, likely died quickly from the uh, trauma of being hit with the mattock. Cecilia had been struck seven times and had a cracked skull. Andreas's cheekbones were protruding from his skin because of the trauma. And Victoria had nine oddly shaped wounds. Evidence showed that she had also been hit in the head with a blunt object. As for the younger Cecilia, her jaw was completely shattered. And she had several small open wounds on her neck and face. I think the worst part of this entire scene is that there was evidence that the younger Cecilia did not die instantly, as the others did. There's evidence that she survived for several more hours lying among the corpses of her family. She was found with clumps of hair in her closed fists, and she had bald spots on her head meaning that after being beaten and left for dead, the young Cecilia had been stuck amongst her dead family, pulling out her own hair. Oh, that is tragic. Wow. Perhaps, objectively, one of the worst things I've ever had to say out loud on the podcast. This is like TMI, but was she on top of the the pile? I don't know. Because that's another thing, too. I feel like that it's awful either way. But, like, what if she had them, like, on top of her? I would imagine if if she had enough mobility to be pulling out her hair that she was on top. Yeah. But I don't know that for certain. How little was she? She was seven. Okay. Yeah. Is this one of those where it's like, 
there is no known motive. Or do you get into that? No, I get into it plenty. Oh, thank goodness. So Joseph and Maria were killed in similar fashion, just in their respective bedchambers. Same thing, blows to the head and the face. And no murder weapon was found at the scene. I also couldn't find, because I looked, because I'm thinking, would that be like considered like farming equipment? Was it a piece of equipment that they had there already that was then utilized in the commission of the crime? I could not find any evidence as to if that was the case or not. So I have no idea. And I really wish I knew because I feel like that would be important to know. I know in the past, you know how axe murders were very common. I, we've talked about that we've before. Covered several. And how it's kind of hard to determine where they got the axe because everybody had one. So, right. like, my hunch is that's probably pretty similar to what mm. they found, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Fortunately, none of the animals on the farm had been harmed. But the implication of this is, you know, as I've said many times, one of the most disturbing parts of the case. The investigation found that the murders occurred late in the afternoon of March 31st, 1922. But the bodies were not discovered until April 4th, a full four days later. Evidence indicated that someone, or multiple someones, had stayed at the homestead, eating, cooking, and tending the animals for four days after committing the murders. Hunks of preserved meat had been cut in the pantry, and the family's supply of bread was fully depleted. Someone really settled in and just stayed for days, with six bodies lying around. Two in the house, and they just lived there for a few days. What has to be going through someone's head? Obviously, like, this is screwed up. All the cases that we cover are screwed up. Mm-hmm. But, like, I feel like you have to be a whole new level to be like, oh, I'm just going to stay in this house with murdered bodies. Did this person have anywhere? Like, it makes me feel like this person was, like, a a traveler. Like, they needed somewhere to stay. That's where they started their search, naturally. Yeah. Because they yeah. thought the same thing. That this was, like, a vagrant, someone who didn't have necessarily, like, a permanent place to stay and would kind of, like, take up residence where he could. But no indication of motive, you know? Like, you're not going to kill six people so you can live in their house. I feel like there's easier ways to find a place to live. I don't know. Some people are unexplainable. That is true. But I, I wish you guys could have seen my face when I was researching this and I read and it was like, oh, but don't worry, all the animals were fine. And I was like, yay, the animals were fine. And then as it dawned on me that the animals were fine because someone lived in the house and was feeding all the animals the whole time. And I was like, well, I think it's also crazy that like they fed the animals and stuff. Like it wasn't just like a self-preservation thing. Like they were taking care of the homestead. This person killed six people. And not a single animal. But I wouldn't put it past them. No. All right. So. Often with cases like this in this time period, like I said, 1922, DNA evidence is collected, but investigators don't always have the technology to use it. These cases are often solved years down the line. I will say that unfortunately, no DNA evidence was collected in this case, nor were any fingerprints collected. A local physician conducted the autopsies on the bodies in the barn where they were found. Tests were conducted that determined that the neighbors would not have heard screaming from the barn so no one would have been able to report the attacks as they were ongoing. And the entire homestead was torn down not long after the murders, which subsequent investigators think destroyed a lot of viable evidence that was never collected. So uh, based on that information alone, I think this case will never be definitively solved just for the lack of evidence. They may be able to point fingers and speculate, but with all the major players, all of them, all the major players being dead at this point, and the evidence being destroyed so soon after the crimes, I just don't think this will ever be solved. But 
of course, we're going to talk about the suspects because even if we can't solve it, we can speculate, right? So there's a few um, suspects. There's two in particular I'm going to focus on and I'll touch on the rest. Over 100 people were interviewed uh, over the course of this investigation. The case was actively investigated for 50 years, believe it or not. The active investigation only ended when the lead detective retired, and it's still considered an open case, just not actively investigated, I suppose. So the first suspect is Carl Gabriel. Carl Gabriel was Victoria's husband, who supposedly died in 1914 in World War I, but his body was never recovered, so naturally there is suspicion that he was alive at the time of the murders. Also, for anyone who's still reeling from the incest bomb I dropped earlier in the episode, Carl allegedly died in 1914. Victoria's daughter Cecilia was born in 1915, so I, I, I guess that's feasible. I don't know the exact months. But Joseph, Victoria's son, was born in 1919. So um, there's no way that Carl was the father of that child. So this brings up questions of paternity, perhaps motive. Wait, perhaps motive for Carl? For murder. Yeah, but... For Carl and for someone else who I'll get to in a second. Okay, but not for Carl because if he was alive, then he would have also, there would have been a possibility that he would have also fathered Joseph if, if he was really alive. Or he was alive and didn't father Joseph and was mad that she had a kid by another man. I guess so, but I, I feel like he probably just died, like they said he did. A lot of people during that time were not discovered. Yeah, like, they got blown up. Like, let's be up. realistic. No, his, historically, that is accurate, that, like, bodies were not recovered a lot of the time in World War One. but this is just a theory. No one actually knows for certain, but because his body was never recovered, it becomes an attractive theory. There were some unconfirmed reports uh, that claim that Carl Gabriel may have gone to Russia and become a military officer there. Some soldiers who uh, had been taken captive by the Russians claimed that a Russian officer claimed to be the Hinterkaifeck killer. But these statements were later redacted. So I don't know. I, I think it's entirely possible. Do I think it's likely? Not necessarily. Yeah, I'm kind of mad on that. Yeah, I think I think the next one's a little more likely. Um, so next up is uh, Schlittenbauer, our bestie with the name who I'm reasonably sure i'm not pronouncing right um who found the bodies you smelt it you dealt it you smelt it you dealt it exactly <sighs> schlittenbauer was suspected naturally because he found the bodies you're always a suspect even if just briefly when you find a body let alone six so that makes sense what adds fuel to the fire is speculation that following the death of his first wife schlittenbauer had carried on a relationship of some kind with wait for it Victoria. Some speculate mm. that he may have fathered Joseph. His actions following the discovery were also odd. He was not alone when he went to investigate the crime scene. Um, he was with two other men. After finding the bodies in the barn, Schlittenbauer produced a key. You'll recall I said earlier in the episode that there were reports that the family had lost a key about a month earlier. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and entered the house. One of the men said that they were surprised because they'd had to break a gate to get into the barn so schlittenbauer had not indicated that he had like any way of like getting into the property and then also because schlittenbauer said he was entering the home quote to find his son 
Okay, so... So there's four bodies found, and this guy's immediate is like, holy shit, and gets out a key and goes to look for what he says is his son and goes into the house to see if his son's alive. But the thing is, if he had actually killed him when he had said that... That's what I think. I think is that it would be stronger than Carl Gabriel committing the crimes because Carl Gabriel was probably just dead. But I still don't see motive here. Just a suspicious connection that could have put him at odds with Victoria and the family. If he was the father and he had an ongoing relationship with her, Mm -hmm. perhaps there was some sort of like he had a spare key in one of those things. Mm -hmm. Like he seems like very familiar with this place. Yeah. Schlittenbauer also apparently interfered with the bodies before reporting them. I don't know the extent of that. I do know that when investigators got there, they, the bodies all had sheets over them. So I, I wonder if maybe he just covered them up. I, I don't know. I feel like um, we've definitely, I've heard of that happening before. Like you're trying to preserve mm-hmm. modesty. Yeah. But usually that's like seen, usually the killer is the one who does it. Yeah. But why wouldn't he have done that prior when he originally killed them? Right, yeah. not when he found them. Not mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to go back later with a bunch I'm of I'm going to go back four days later. And then cover the bodies. Like, I could also see it as like, I don't want to look at these dead people that I love. Mm-hmm. Schlittenbauer made a number of comments in the years following the murders that a lot of people thought indicated a personal level of involvement or at least a basis for suspicion. Uh, he once claimed unprompted that the murderer had planned to bury the bodies but couldn't because the ground was frozen. Why would he have any yes. idea what the murderer intended to do and at all, Very ever? Random. I mean, people thought maybe that was just him, like, making an observation. Like, oh, because the bodies were just stacked on top of each other in the barn, you know, and, and he knew what the temperature was like that day, that he was like, yeah, you know, my impression was that the murderer would have done this. But the way he said it was like, the murderer was going to do this. And people were like, What? I think I think that one can be explained away a little bit, but I feel like that could be coping. Like mm-hmm. kind of too, like trying to find some kind of relief and like understand what happened cuz yeah. it, it's definitely strange to like find them all just on top of each other. Like why right. didn't somebody bother to even hide the bodies a little bit? For what it's worth, Schlittenbauer actually sued a bunch of people for slander because they claimed he was involved in this case and he won every single time. So uh I think that I don't know. I slander is uh, a little confusing in the sense that, like, you can only sue for slander if it's not true. So there's like a factual determination required in a slander case, which means technically the courts held that he didn't commit these murders. If they ruled in his favor in a slander case against people who called him a murderer, but that's kind of procedural. It wouldn't have criminal bearing. You know, he right. wasn't found criminally innocent or criminally not guilty. So, like, technically, since he was never charged, he would automatically win, right, each time? Because you can't mm-hmm. prove that it's true. How would you prove unless he went through a criminal proceeding? Like, I will say that I'm not super familiar with this area of law outside of what you have to know for the bar exam. I just know that there's a requirement for slander and defamation that the statements be untrue and it's a completely different process for determining whether or not they're untrue, completely separate from a criminal trial. 
like sometimes a criminal trial can be admitted as evidence, like statements from a criminal trial, maybe even a verdict, but it's a completely separate process. At least in a civil court, it was found to be not true that he was a murderer. There were a bunch of other random suspects. I'll touch on each of these very briefly. It was the Gump brothers who were connected to the family through the military or a paramilitary group. Um, They were cleared. Two boys from Saddleburg whose mother claimed they'd committed the crime. She cited her son's lost penknife and a penknife found during the demolition of the property. The former maid then came forward and said, no, that penknife was there when I still worked there. So that was not much of anything. Uh, There was a man named Peter Weber, whose roommate claimed that Weber mentioned killing Andreas for his money, but dropped the idea because his roommate wasn't responsive. And then the roommate was like, who's to know if he didn't actually go and do it? But Peter Weber. Yeah. If anyone ever watches The Bachelor. Yeah, no, I know. (laughs) Pilot Pete. (laughs) Oh, God. That's all I can think about. I also have the Bishler brothers who worked on the farm for a while and were familiar with the layout. They would know where like usable weapons would be kept. Um, the Taylor brothers, Taylor brothers, whose maid said they had discussed murdering the family at some point. And Paul Muller, who was a known suspect in numerous other crimes that took place, surprisingly, in Massachusetts with the same M.O. of this crime. Of all those theories, I don't think any of them are particularly compelling. It's a lot of he said, she said. Yeah, I think most of these are, you know, meh theories, which is why I didn't dig much into them. But the Paul Muller theory, I want to touch on because I think that's more compelling than the rest. This theory actually came out in 2017. This is a very recent one. So Muller was a German immigrant suspected in numerous murders between 1910 and 1912 in Massachusetts that were committed with a pickaxe, took out entire families, and he was known to stack his victims as the Grubers had been stacked in the barn. The author of a 2017 book on this case uh, was named Bill James, and he explored this theory. He postulates that Mueller returned to Germany after 1912 because of the investigation closing in on him for the Massachusetts murders, which places him in Germany with a known and related M.O. at the same time as the Hinterkaifeck murders. I think it's as good a theory as any. I do feel like stacking bodies like that is very distinct, like a very distinct M.O. Right, because at first at first I was like, oh, I don't know, pickaxes, like that's, yeah, they're around. Everyone has them, as we discussed earlier with like regular axes. It's just a thing that people had in that time period. It's, I guess, not an uncommon weapon, but the stacking the bodies... I was like, oh. Did he have a history of staying at the places that he murdered families in? I did not find any evidence in either direction there that he did or did not. So I have no clue. Mm. Would be an interesting. You need to read that book. I know. I put it on my to be read because <laughs> um, I, I love a good theory, especially when it comes out almost 100 years later. So he was never charged. No one was ever charged. There were never any charges filed in this case. Yeah, but I'm talking like he wasn't charged for the suspected because it says suspected murders. Mm-hmm. Between yeah, no, he was never charged for anything. He was never charged for the Massachusetts ones either. Wow. Because he fled the country. 
So I think this is a very interesting theory. I think most of these are pretty interesting theories. Um, but the further we get from 1922, which is now over 101 years ago, the further we get from ever solving these murders. Two grandparents, a mother, two children, and a maid killed in their own homestead for reasons unknown then and now, for reasons that will likely never be known. And that is my case. Dang. What a crazy story. Well, like, true right? story, but... It really sucks to see, like, a hundred years later and they haven't gotten justice. And they, like you said, they probably never will. Some of the more minor suspects that I kind of mentioned in passing were, like, at some point, like, arrested but never charged. Like, um, they thought their involvement was enough for them to be, like, detained and questioned. But nothing ever came out of any of that because, you know, every time someone was like, oh, it's so-and-so because of this particular reason, someone else came forward and was like, it's not that. That's, like, very strange that that those brothers mother was just yeah. like oh yeah it's them that's strange strange yeah, and odd so behavior weird. especially when the maid was the former maid was like yeah no definitely not yeah that that pen knife was there and like that it, makes me sus of the mom the i know i i wonder but also i mean the fact that there were two sets of brothers yeah right what's up with that it is more plausible, like I said, it was multiple people. Yeah, and a lot of the material I read on this interchangeably discussed suspect and suspects, plural. Like, that they don't even know for certain if it was one person or multiple people. Well, that was my episode. Uh, next time you guys hear from me, next time we have a Kate episode, it's for our <laughs> spooky season series. Get ready for that. Get your butts in your seats and be ready for more spooky season content coming your way in the following days and weeks at small town mysteries pod on instagram hit us up there if you live in a small town that had a weird case a murder a disappearance you know carjacking whatever weird things happen in your small town or even if it's just like a spooky haunted story or anything like that it doesn't have to be all murder related just saying what's your what's your local folklore you know i want to hear about it Uh, And stay tuned for our next episode. Yeah, we'll catch you on the flip side. Come spiral with us next week. Bye. Bye!